Hey folks, can your IRA or 401k stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is right at our doorstep? By allocating a percentage of your retirement into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from a turbulent market and economic downturns. All you got to do is put your IRA back on the gold standard. With a multi-trillion dollar trade deficit and ongoing geopolitical instability, experts say now is the time to make the switch. Find out how to safeguard your assets with a tax-free rollover with a Genesis Gold IRA, the only IRA that can hold physical precious metals. Protect your retirement today with one simple phone call and receive your free gold and silver guide from my good friends at Genesis Gold. To do that, call Genesis Gold Group today at 800 200 G-O-L-D, gold. That's 800-200-GOLD. And find out how you can add precious metals to your IRA. One more time, let me give you the number. It's 800-200-4653. gold Or visit them at genesisgoldgroup.com. Genesis Gold, welcome to the John Solomon Just the News family. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News, where today we're broadcasting live from the Freedom Phone Studios in Washington, D.C. Yes, we're big fans of the phone, and we've introduced you to a special discount offer. Check it out at justinnews.com slash freedom phone. Really fun opportunity if you like a phone that has some additional privacy protection capabilities and also a commitment to apps that are free speech first, well, then you've got the right phone here. Really fun stuff. We've brought Eric Finman on the show a couple times. Great guy and a young entrepreneur trying to make a difference. And the left has attacked him and technology companies have attacked him. But you know what? He's going strong because his heart is in the right place. And his product has a lot of great features, including an operating system that's very unique. All right, folks. Today, we're going to take you back to the Ronald Reagan era. Yeah, that seems like a while ago, but it's a good conversation to have because it wasn't that long ago that our military, our security thinkers, our private sector, our political leaders put country first, put security first, and didn't slough off, didn't make excuses for emerging clear and present dangers that may threaten our country. And that's really how we won the Cold War, right? Without ever having to fire a shot. Uh, we don't have that mindset today. We hear so many Americans and American political leaders slough off, delay, kick the can down the road on things that are now real and present and clear dangers for our country. And of course, China is one of them. Uh, We had the great congressman on yesterday talking about the agricultural elements of what China is doing to gain land in America and, and squeeze our farmers and put America in an economic stranglehold with its own farmland. Think about that, using our own farmland against us, right? That's one small part. But today, we're going to bring in somebody who is going to open your eyes to a much larger vulnerability that China is seeking to exploit and that America is falling by his own account further and further behind. You may never have heard of him, but you have seen the extraordinary work he has done. His name is Ambassador Henry F. Cooper. He was one of the key players in the Strategic Defense Initiative, the Star Wars Initiative, that sought to protect us from Soviet missiles during the end of the Cold War. He became President Bush's chief negotiator on space and defense issues that were negotiated as the Soviet Union was falling apart and America was winning the Cold War. And for much of the last two decades, he has been focused on emerging threats that America is asleep at the switch at. And China 
missile technology, EMP technology. I've all been in his portfolio. He is one of the most cogent security and defense voices, not only in the United States, but in the world. And though he is in his older years, he brings great wisdom, great words of advice, and he sees an America that is more vulnerable today than at any point in its extraordinary and illustrious history. That's saying something, because we faced grave danger from the War of 1812 after the Revolution to the Civil War to World War I, World War II, the unilateral threat of terrorism. And he believes now that we are more naked, more danger, and than ever uh, by ignoring where China is and what it is capable of doing without having to fire a shot. And these are pretty extraordinary words from a man that has 40 and 50 years of record behind him. So we're going to spend the whole hour with this extraordinary government leader, government thinker, strategic thinker, Ambassador Henry F. Cooper, coming up right after this commercial break. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, someone whose commitment to his country and important work goes all the way back to the Reagan years during the SDI Star Wars project, the early efforts for America to defend itself against the growing threat of missiles. Joining us right now is Ambassador Henry Cooper, who was at one time the man who helped negotiate the space and defense treaties with the Soviet Union. Ambassador Cooper, it's so great to have you on the show. Well, I'm pleased to be with you. Your work is really historic, and you've been such an important voice in leaning into the future of security. A lot of times we live by the seat of a pants in America. We're only worried about the next few hours, the next few days. But you've always built a reputation as somebody who was looking out at the threat 10, 5, 10, 20 years out. And you've had some really powerful uh, columns recently talking about the threat that China poses, particularly from a missile standpoint, and the vulnerability of our grid. And uh, I want to just read something that started. You actually mentioned this in a column, but it was such an important quote from the top U.S. intelligence officer for the Pentagon for the Asia-Pacific reason. He said this earlier this month, Rear Admiral Mike Studeman, he said, 
I'm wondering in Washington how many folks are truly persuaded by the warning which the Intelligence Committee has already provided regarding the dangers that exist within this decade soon, now, with regard to the nature of the Chinese threat and how it manifests and what we do about it. We would say the danger is clear and present already. What was Rear Admiral Mike Studeman talking about in that moment? Well, it's on many fronts. Frankly, I'm sure that that uh, Mike was referring to. And by the way, I know you know, knew his dad, who was the, uh, I think in his last post, the uh, director of the National NSA. So, wow. I mean, he's been engaged in intelligence uh, matters in entire life, Mike has. So in any case, China, I will tell you, you didn't mention it, but I was also the director of the Strategic Defense Initiative and um, the George Herbert Walker Bush administration. That's right, for President Bush, right? That's correct. And uh, I had been defending it in our negotiations with the Soviet Union because the Soviets were very concerned about uh, their inability to compete with our technology in that time period. And uh, China uh, was not really in the scene very much during that era either in the, um, the Reagan administration nor the, uh, the Bush administration, first Bush administration. And so while we considered it, we didn't concern ourselves with the threat. The problem was generated when at the end of the Bush administration, the um, Clinton administration came in and they immediately killed the RSDI program. Right. And in particular, uh, space programs. And uh, it was uh, it not, not only was a blow to us directly, but it enabled the Chinese in particular to uh, take advantage of that technology, import it, and advance it. And frankly, they uh, pursued the uh, SDI space race activities, uh, whereas we dropped them during uh, that administration, and subsequently no administration restored them. And that even includes the Trump administration that just was concluded. Uh, Mike Griffin, who was the, uh, as you probably know, the top engineer in the Pentagon and previous uh, uh, administrator at NASA, and right, of course, people, he, w- he was my deputy for technology. And Mike and I have stayed friends, and we've talked back and forth about these issues over the years. And he tried to get, even during the Trump administration, and some of that space activity revived, and we didn't. And China has pushed ahead with it, and now we're playing catch-up to the technologies that we once led. I'm frankly more concerned about China than I am with Russia, although um, that may be find its source in the fact that I spent five years negotiating with the Soviet Union, and I may I may have a different. I mean, my my perception may not be correct about uh, Putin and and his crowd today. But China has the economic power to really pull off these matters, and we have been ignoring the key technologies now for uh, at least 20 years, and uh, we're playing catch-up, quite honestly. And so China's a major threat, and EMP, electromagnetic pulse, uh, is a, a vulnerability that we have permitted to grow throughout our infrastructure, critical infrastructure upon which we depend. 
and probably there is no greater area than the uh, electric power grid. And it is vulnerable. It is, I don't think anybody would dispute that that knows anything about the grid, and we are ignoring it. There's not a penny, to my knowledge, being considered in all the stuff going on right now in Washington where they're deliberating on so-called infrastructure and including within whatever they're talking about as infrastructure, all manner of things that betray a, a serious lack of seriousness about discussion of infrastructure. And and just imagine a world with no electricity, yeah. because that's what would happen. We saw it for a couple of days in Texas during a storm, and we thought the world was coming to an end. Imagine if it was nationwide. Exactly. Exactly. So in any case, that's that's my biggest worry, frankly. And while others can create this problem, in fact, anyone with a nuclear weapon uh, can create that issue. And right. that includes North Korea, and it includes Iran, and of course, the Soviet Union and China, and even terrorists if they were, you know, became, uh, you know, a lackey to one of these powers. Right. Uh, and that's not out of bounds in terms for consideration. No. No, a freelance operation sponsored by a state is a very real possibility. Our intelligence community has told us this is a really remarkable moment because 30 years ago, we were in the forefront. Now we're hearing from you and many other skilled in in the know people that we've fallen behind and the budgets, the powers that be are not doing anything. And you're hearing military flag officers raising these questions saying, no one's taking us seriously. How did we get to this point? I frankly don't know. I'm really disappointed in many in the Defense Department and others who aren't speaking up more frankly about these issues. And as you know, uh, I think Jim Inhofe is trying to fight to get more money into the defense budget. One of the few. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess Congresswoman Elaine Luria of Virginia has been raising some red flags, but it's like a very small number of people for such a very large threat. It, it It is remarkable to me. I'd like to do a little education because you've, you've done some of the best writing on this subject. And I think a lot of people forget about this, but I think it was 2013 in California, what I would call a small scale terror attack took a large part of the California electric grid off. And, you know, at the time people were worried about other things. They weren't talking about uh, this and it didn't get the attention the media deserved, but it was a real harbinger, I think, of the potential vulnerabilities our grid had. And we're eight years, nine years from that episode where a lot of people in California were offline for several days. And it doesn't seem like our grid is that much more hardened from anything from EMP, low scale terror attack, even uh, cyber hacking. Who should be held accountable for the lack of attention to this threat? Well, frankly, no one was in charge. I would say that's the case and uh, still aren't, frankly. During the Trump administration, he um, actually early on in his administration, um, made a statement that indicated he was going to view this issue differently. And he had, had an executive order in early 2019, right. I believe it was, uh, putting the National Security Council in staff in, in charge of these activities. And they sought to negotiate uh, with the powers that be throughout the government, hopefully to get a whole of government response. And while there were some good things that were done, frankly, uh, they didn't really achieve very much in the way of moving it ahead. Senator Ron Johnson, whom I'm sure you know, probably yes. have interviewed, is one on Capitol Hill who gets this issue. He's been very supportive. Actually, Jim Benhoff has been supportive 
too, so uh, on occasion. But I would say that Ron Johnson is the best informed, informed senator on this subject. And he has tried to get this problem dealt with. He held hearings uh, explicitly to deal with these issues, had uh, uh, Dr. George Baker, right. who after that hearing became uh, uh, a ski staffer on the National Security Council staff trying to pull these issues together, uh, did a fine job while he was there. But of course, with the change of administration, he is no longer there. And to my knowledge, uh, he has not been replaced with anyone of equal stature or knowledge. So right now, we're rudderless uh, in the water on dealing with this issue during the, the Trump administration. I wish it weren't so, but that's a fact. Yeah. And when you ask how it came to be this way, we ignored the problem for far too long. We started to deal with it during the Trump era, but the institutions of the government really were not responsive. And uh, I'm working on another article right now for Newsweek, uh, Newsmax, uh, detailing you know uh, when um, Governor Granholm was going through her confirmation hearings. Uh, Senator Murkowski asked her quite explicitly questions about the grid, and she made clear she understood what the issues were in both the, both the uh, if I use bulk power grid. Um, I don't know whether your listeners will know what that is, but those are the power plants and the high voltage transmission lines that deliver, deliver electricity throughout the nation right. to a number of um, uh, uh, smaller companies and and uh, electrical co-ops around the nation. And they are the ones who deliver electricity to the individuals in the country, our, you know, our hospitals, homes, businesses emergency responders, all those folks who depend on electricity, they don't get their money, their, deli- their delivery out of the transmission lines. They go through these transformers that I wrote about in the articles that you're talking about. And they're key elements of the grid that we have not protected. We haven't even tested to, to understand what their vulnerabilities are. And George Baker, when he was with the NSC, tried very, very hard to get something going in that area, but was not able to make it happen. And it's been blocked by the Department of Energy, among others. When um, when Ms. Granholm was going through the confirmation hearings, Senator Murkowski asked her specifically about this problem in the context of the cyber threat. Right. But uh, And she answered it, and she gave the direct answer. Over 90% of the grid are these distribution lines that aren't being dealt with. And she promised that she was going to deal with them in some fashion or other, uh, you know, if she became Secretary of Energy. Well, she's now been the Secretary of Energy for, I don't remember exactly how many months, but that was in January. Yeah. And so as I know, nothing has happened. Yeah, I can find no evidence either. Um, The danger here or the reality that we face is that China, which, by the way, has EMP, Electronic Magnetic Pulse, technology built into their military doctrine, it's actually included in the doctrine of China, that they could literally cripple the United States and take us down without ever having to fire a traditional military shot. And I think that's what some people like former Secretary of the Navy, William Middendorf, have said. There is such a malaise in Washington. It's as though we, every time we hear the word China, there's a larger number of people say they're friends still, they're still our friend. And what sort of education process do we need in America to understand that China poses to this generation of America 
the sort of threats that the Soviet Union uh, posed to our Cold War era of America. It seems as though there's such a malaise about China that we don't we don't seem to take it seriously, despite all the harbinger warnings of, of people like the Rear Admiral, yourself, and so many others. Uh, uh, how did we get to be so, I hate to use the word, dumb on this subject? I don't know. I guess uh, we thought, you know, the Cold War was over and we were going to have peace in our time. That was the, uh, you remember Francis uh, Frank Fukuyama uh, right? wrote a book called The History and uh, thinking that it was all going to change. Well, and and I must say, uh, I when I was running the SDI program, I, I worked with our allies, even worked with the uh, former Soviets in Russia to do some comparable things together during that period. But that ball was dropped at the end of the Bush administration when the Clinton administration came in and um, went back to the Cold War idea that our best way of protecting the American people was something called um, assured destruction. Right. I, top, I don't know yeah. what the listeners what that is, but basically it's a threat of mutual suicide with the Soviet Union, which most people thought kept us safe throughout the Cold War. I, I must say I was a skeptic throughout that period, but nevertheless, the people during the Clinton years, and unfortunately after that, made it illegal as a matter of policy to defend the American people. And and I, I fear that there are a lot of people in the federal establishment today that still adhere to that practice. Bill Middendorf was a, a personal friend, too, and uh, I, I know he was really, uh, he tried his best during the short period when we had some, uh, when Yeltsin was the uh, president, I right. guess it was, of Russia, right. of trying to get started working together. And I think we had a real chance of making a longstanding difference. But that was thrown in the trash when the Clinton crowd came in and made that the uh, cornerstone of stability is what they re- referred to it as. Mutual assured destruction is the cornerstone of strategic stability. And they went back to that mode of thinking. And in the meantime, while we have uh, now woken up a bit to to building serious defenses, and I'm I'm really of the Navy's Aegis system, which I was able to uh, help get started on my watch. It is the best, in my judgment, uh, global missile defense that we have today. That and the uh, the Israeli systems, which also got the major start on my watch. Yeah. So defenses make a big difference. We know they will, not only in combat, but also in deterring, I believe, deterring uh, adversaries who might be willing to risk attacking us and uh, and leaving and in our defense defenseless state, we would be vulnerable to. Yeah, so we, we've got a lot of recovery, both in education to deal with this problem, as well as real capability in the um, in the private sector. It's um, remarkable. There was a think tank in the Pentagon, which was created 40 years ago, specifically to study the Chinese threat. And uh, over the years, it, it early on saw the China threat. And then during the Obama years and through much of the Trump years, even as President Trump was clearly echoing how important the China threat was, this, this think tank kept producing study after study, suggesting oh, we don't really need to worry that much about China. And it seems like so much of official Washington has bought into the idea that the Chinese are still behind us. They're never going to catch up. Uh, but then you hear you hear the, what the rear admiral said. You hear what Chris Ray said a year ago about how much China has 
stolen its way to the front of technological innovation. If we get to a point where we start to agree, Democrat and Republican alike, that we have a problem, we have fallen behind, what are the three or four steps that you, as a strategic thinker, somebody's been thinking this way for 40 years, uh, what are three or four steps America needs to do to try to catch up and to put itself on a defensive par with China? Well, I think we have to revive our serious space programs. I would put very high priority on that. Uh, we haven't talked about it, but have you heard of Brilliant Pebbles? Do you know what that was? I have not, no. Okay, well, on actually on my watch, we began that program too, and we uh, determined that it was uh, possible to deploy a large number of very small satellites, very smart satellites that could maneuver and uh, carry on board the sensors and the computing power uh, to perform intercepts in space, beginning of launches in, while rockets were still rising from their launch pads all the way through flight and to where they could uh, return to the Earth. Now, today, with what um, Elon Musk is doing with his SpaceX program, right. we're seeing that laid out in real time, that cap- in inherent capability not for missile defense, because it's commercial, all about right? uh, commercial interest. Right. And that's where the cutting edge, in my judgment, is today, is in the private sector. But we knew 30 years ago in uh, the late 1980s how to do this job with space-based defenses. And uh, we even, if you ever go to the Smithsonian, well, let's let me back up. Uh, During the latter days of my watch, uh, some Democrats on Capitol Hill, including Les Aspen, who became Secretary of Defense, and Sam Nunn, who chaired chaired the Armed Services Committee, made it very clear to me they were going to kill the Brilliant Pebbles program. So I called into my office some key people and said, invent for me a program that we can space qualify this key technology that Lawrence Livermore Laboratories actually had developed. And for some other reason, and they put together a program, it was called Clementine, uh, which returned ultimately to the moon for the first time in a quarter century and mapped the moon's surface. And I don't remember how many million frames of of data and a number of spectral bands. And actually, they were the ones on that mission that discovered water in the polar regions. NASA has has, uh, claimed that they did it, but you can go to the Smithsonian downtown Washington next to the lunar lander, you can see a a replica of the Clementine spacecraft that actually did that work. I got uh, the people at Naval Research Labs to lead it because if I had put the people in charge at Lawrence Livermore Labs, the Capitol Hill would have killed it. Well, in any case, when the Clinton administration came in, in, uh, Les Aspen within weeks, said uh, we're taking the stars out of Star Wars, and he scuttled all of the technologies that we were pursuing at that time and even turned loose, dispersed the technical community that had been working on that technology, mm. and China got it. I mean, they, they actually captured it, captured it, whether you want to refer to it as buying their way in or whatever, right? but by way of a uh, small companies, Surrey in particular in the Great Britain, was the uh, pathway of the, uh, the Brilliant Pebbles technology mm. to the Chinese, and that was in the 1990s. So here you go, 
they have been working these issues now for 20, 20 plus years, years, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and our private sector, which which is our hope for the future, quite honestly, in my judgment, I, I don't have any confidence in the federal government at this point. They have become so bureaucratic and their thinking is so stale that I'm not sure that we can keep up. Wow. And our only hope is in the private sector and the technologies that are being pursued. If we could only get a leader that would pull those issues together in a coherent way. I wish I were 20 years younger. <laughs> well, you still are an articulate and powerful voice in this space. How do we protect the grid? So we get a space uh, program going is one of your recommendations so that we can defend against these attacks using modern day space technology. What about all those power lines you were talking about? What sort of hardening of defenses can we do there? Well, we know how to do that. Uh, this just doesn't require uh, an invention. Another shadow in my closet, a skeleton or whatever, was when <laughs> I really, I got involved in nuclear weapons effects at the Air Force Weapons Laboratory. At the time, we discovered catastrophic, potentially, EMP was. We knew on the high-altitude test that we conducted uh, in South Pacific right. that there was going to be EMP, but we were surprised by the magnitude of that threat and immediately became so highly classified that you couldn't discuss it. Uh, I couldn't no help my wife with doing oh, Absolutely. And we went to work uh, to protect our most important strategic systems. Our Minutemen, uh, you know, the sea launch ballistic missiles, our bombers, right. the command and control systems that assured that the president could control these systems. We protected them against EMP, but we did not protect the electric power grid, nor any other of the key critical civil infrastructure mm -hmm. against them. And that's the problem we've run into. The EMP commission was established, Roscoe Bartlett, when he was... Um, yeah, congressman and, from uh, Maryland, right? Yeah. Maryland, and Kurt Weldon, who chaired the... Uh, yep. Defense Appropriations uh, Committee, right? One of the armed services, I believe it was. But yeah. in any case, they got the EMP commission set up. And if you haven't talked with Peter Pry, Peter's a guy who's been associated with that activity ever since then. At the time, I think he was still a staffer up on Capitol Hill, but, but very knowledgeable. And the EMP Commission was made up of a lot of really good technical people who had lived with this problem during the period I'm talking about. Amazing. Uh, Bill Graham aired the commission right. as a lieutenant at the Air Force Weapons Laboratory when I was there. And he was working the EMP issues, and he chaired the EMP commission. So we know how to deal with this problem. And um, in a project we did in South Carolina, just working with the local authorities, did an assessment of the distribution grid uh, in York County, which is neighboring to Charlotte in North Carolina. Right. Um, and and, and, and of, of the hardness that needed to be provided in the distribution grid there, it turned out to be like $100 per York County citizen. Now, I've been to dinner this week a couple of times with my wife, and I spent $100, you know, but that's a one-time cost to protect the grid. So we know how to do it. We know we can afford it. The problem is purely bureaucratic and um, whatever you want to call it, political. Uh, and, and I don't know how we take a two-by-four to these people in Washington to begin to deal with this issue. Part of the problem is it's very complicated. We've got a regulatory system in which the uh, the federal 
agents are not responsible for regulating the activities within the states. Every state has its own regulatory committee, uh, so, uh, organization with respect to the uh, the uh, distribution grid, which is the bulk of our the the most of our grid. Even though the bulk power grid is regulated by the feds, so and that's why that's being addressed. However, inadequately it's being done. It's all in the bulk power grid, the transmission lines and the and the power stations. And and the local part can be afforded and done. Uh, and it's a political problem. Uh, and and the energy companies themselves pay for a lot of the regulatory work that goes on. We were, you mentioned Texas. Bob Hall is a state senator in Texas and if you want to talk to him, I can maybe set that up. He was in the Air Force as a junior officer at the same time I was, working on Minuteman 3 to harden it to EMP. He knows what needs to be done. And he has now tried for three sessions of Texas, Texas legislature. And as you probably know, they uh, meet only every other year. So it's for six years he's been trying to get that problem dealt with or the EMP threat and other threats to the grid and without much success, I have to say. So it's appalling. And one of these days it's going to happen. The sun will assure it happens at some point. We won't know when that's going to occur and it does, but it will take down the grid. And, you know, it's in God's hands then as to what happens. Uh, but in the meantime, we have a number of adversaries that also can do that. Remarkable to hear you say that you who work so eloquently and successfully in the United States government through the military and through all of our key institutions to keep us safe during the Cold War. Now you look at the United States government and you see a government that's incapable of really providing the security. And you're talking about, we know we're going to need the private sector. We're going to need Elon Musk. We're going to need other folks. How did our government become so incapable of handling the very first priority our founding fathers handed the federal government, which is to keep America safe. How did we get to that point that you can't trust the military to get the job of protecting America done because they're not thinking strategically anymore? Well, I'm not sure how we got this way. Part of it really happened because we weren't paying attention. Yeah, um, ignorance, the right? Where the expertise lay. And in fact, George Baker that I've mentioned to you once oversaw these programs in the uh, Defense Department. Uh, and so he's well aware of what I've talked about and what it takes to protect the grid and tried to make that happen in the NSC. So uh, you, can't, you can't point to uh, just an institution. We ignored it deliberately. I think, as I've already said, Fukuyama, Fukushima, I forget his, exactly how you say the name, Francis, anyway, you know, said it was the end of history and we were going to have peace in our time. And a lot of people went to sleep. And uh, the Defense Nuclear Agency changed its name several times. It's now called the Defense Reduction Agency, right. I think it is. Yeah, right. And undertook, a, undertook an arms control role. In between, it was a Defense Special Weapons Agency, and it took more of an interest in chemical and biological threats yep. uh, back 20 or so years ago. And that's on this, the right? Heritage, the heritage that Bill Graham and I grew up with went away in the Air Force. The weapons lab is off doing other things. They're doing good things with lasers, I think, now and maybe some other places. But the institutions of government that were once responsible 
And we did nuclear tests, too, to understand what was going on. And we exposed our military systems to those tests so that we could validate our beams. We haven't had a nuclear test now since 1992. So we just turned off. And I don't know what it's going to take to wake us up. And the the reason I point to hope in the uh, private sector is because at least they're not burdened down with a bureaucracy. Yeah, they can move quicker. Such an important point. Well, Mr. Ambassador, your wisdom, first, your service to your country is unparalleled. And we thank you on behalf of all of our listeners and the, the readers of Just the News for your extraordinary service to your country, but also the wisdom here. We have become so short-sighted. We live in the moment in America, and there's very few people looking out 5 and 10 and 15 years at the threat set that we are about to encounter. And um, it is such an honor to have someone on this show that's doing that daily, still being a cogent voice in the security space for for the good of our country. We, we are deeply grateful for all that you do for us. Well, thank you very much, John. And we're going to follow up on this issue. I'd like to get back in touch in a few weeks and a few months and get an update because we got to be watching this very, very closely. Thank you very much. Look forward to it. Thank you, sir. It's been an honor to talk to you. All right, folks, we're going to go to quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Uh, what an interview. What a lot to think about that the ambassador gave us. Ambassador Cooper is uh, that light on a hill that is warning us of the danger that lies ahead. And the question that he asked is the same question that the Rear Admiral asked in that little quote I read from you from Rear Admiral Studeman. Are we asleep? Are we asleep at the switch? Are we not paying attention to the clear and present danger, as Admiral Studeman said, about China and its capabilities, particularly as it relates to the grid vulnerabilities, as it relates to missile technology, as it relates to space technology? You heard the ambassador say, we went from being ahead to being behind. How alarming is it? We need to be dialed in, all of us. We need to hold to account our leaders who aren't paying attention to this. We need to sound off. We need to support the people who are making these issues known and fighting for funding and strategic concepts. You know, Congresswoman Elaine Luria, Democrat from Virginia, Senator Ron Johnson, we've mentioned. There are a handful of people, a rear admiral, who are speaking the truth and trying to clamor the pans, try to get our attention. But there isn't a whole lot in people. want. We, we'd rather talk about woke 
issues and, and um, changed curricula when, in fact, the extraordinary integrity and security of the United States is in clear and present danger, according to the man whose job it is to watch it, right? Admiral Mike Studeman, the top U.S. intelligence officer for the military in the Asia-Pacific region, says, we are not ready. We are asleep at the switch. He's not alone in saying that. Many, many other people do this. Congresswoman Luria, Democrat, right, wrote uh, in the Wall Street Journal just three, four weeks ago, does the Pentagon take China seriously? Wow, that's a big Big question that someone who knows a Democrat challenging this Pentagon under the Biden administration, they're not thinking strategically enough, China. That's what the experts are telling us. That's why we have this show to give you warnings and harbingers and information and facts that you might not be getting from the rest of the media. We're so grateful you listen. Tomorrow, we're going to have another fun show. We've got some media personalities coming on later this week, and we've got Jenny Beth Martin, one of the great leaders of the Tea Party movement, who has been instrumental in supporting the Cuba freedom fighters and in the push to get Cuba liberated from its six decades of communism. She's going to be here tomorrow to talk about what happened at that incredible rally yesterday in Washington and so many other things that are on the front lines. Until then, let's take a break. Have a good night with your family. Enjoy that family dinner. Throw on some Kansas City steaks if you got them. Uh, some wild Alaskan seafood. We know where all they are. They're great sponsors here at Just the News. Support them you also reward yourself when you do that. They're amazing folks. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens 
can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. 